the Good Neighbor Podcast. My name is Jesse Sudirgo. Welcome. My dad, more or less, retired from 40 years of full-time ministry this past year. My parents' ministry journey is incredible, I would say. You know, they went through a lot, and I have a lot to say, actually, about my mother. Um, But for today's episode, I'm going to focus on my dad. My dad is a son of a pastor himself, actually, in Indonesia. And because of that, my dad vowed that he'd never get into ministry growing up. He wanted a more comfortable life after not having much as a child with seven other brothers and sisters. But after immigrating to Canada and getting married and starting his career as a real estate agent, it just so happens that the Indonesian fellowship in Toronto that he was a part of started to grow quite rapidly in the 1980s. And it looked like they needed someone to step up to be the pastor. So, after a bit of protest, my dad relented and took up the family business, you could say. He became a pastor, right? And I recall, actually, my parents sitting our family down, letting us know that life ahead of us wasn't going to be easy, that we might not be able to take the vacations we wanted or get the best toys that others would have. But since making that decision, my dad has really embraced this role. He is a pastor through and through. I would say that he wasn't the best preacher, not the most articulate teacher. He wasn't known for his executive leadership skills, but he was a shepherd, let me tell you so. I can't tell you how many cars my dad helped to fix, how many emergency home visits that he and my mom made, how many new Indonesian immigrants he picked up from the airport, whether he knew them or not. When I think back at it now, he actually resembled a settlement service worker, you know, actually someone who helps newcomers navigate the Canadian system. That was my dad. And for the rest of the congregation who actually lived in Toronto, he was there during their moments of crisis. He was there during the water leaks, the family conflicts, the last dying breaths of a loved one. He was a jack-of-all-trades. He was a generalist. But when I look today at our current landscape of ministry and the job postings that you would see in the social sector, I wonder whether his set of skills would qualify him for a role in the current market. One could say that we live in a day of specialists, people who provide a specific value add to the church or the organization, whether that's someone who has a focus on counseling a great orator, a strategic leader. In this episode, I speak with the executive director of Youth Unlimited, Scott Moore, and we get to talk about the subject of specialists and generalists in this nonprofit arena. How do generalists find a place in this increasingly professionalized social sector? And what gap is left when generalists are not as valued as their specialized colleagues? This is the first of a three-part series with Scott where we delve into all sorts of organizational values that have guided his team throughout the year. And just up front, Youth Unlimited, it's it's spread out across the GTA. And for me, it was hard for, for me to pinpoint their identity or focus because of how different each program is in each neighborhood. So to start, we get into how diverse these programs are. And I question to see why the organization doesn't just buckle down on just doing a few things well, rather than casting such a wide net. So, that's where we begin. 
many initiatives was that? 59. <laughs> 59. Yeah. So 59 initiatives, right? And they just are, you know, grassroots forming in different places based on the context. When I think of that, and I think of trying to organize or manage or lead something like that, I feel the temptation would be to say, okay, how can we categorize these? Let's cut these ones. Let's like, let's, that's not really working there. That's it. Let's, let's just do a few things really well, rather than try to do a whole bunch of things where you have to like reinvent the wheel over and over again in these different places. What made you think this is the better way to move forward? Perhaps it was part of the DNA or whatnot of the organization, but to continue that forth, uh, what was behind that thought? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. It definitely was a DNA that existed, pre-existed me. So I, I think we have a long history of being very entrepreneurial hmm. um, and adapting based on the needs of young people. We're very much a go-to organization in the sense of going to young people where they are. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, being an organization that's kind of rooted uh, as urban ministry workers who, very, who are very much sent by the church, our people have a very distinct calling. They're often very distinctly called to a neighborhood hmm. or a group of young people. And we're really just facilitating that call. Um, hmm. You know, I, I just think right in a city like Toronto, where it's so diverse, every neighborhood is uniquely different. Uh, you can't sort of cookie cutter approach things and do it well, right? And so, so I think it's part of our DNA, but also a recognition of young people's needs in the city require unique contextualized program. So yeah, you're probably hinting at that tension of, well, wouldn't it just be simpler to kind of systematize yeah. some of this stuff? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as I reflect on that question, I think we focus on people more than programs. We know at the end of the day, the transformative part of our work, yes, we want excellent programs that help build and shape young people, but more importantly, we want people who are deeply rooted in a transforming faith, loving and caring young, for young people for many, many years. Hmm. That's the relationship where we believe transformation happens. So I, that's where our expertise lies in training those people, caring for those people, developing those people. Um, you know, we absolutely have processes that help unfold ministries. So it's not like, yeah, yeah just go, go do whatever you want, wherever you want. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, we'll check in with you in a year. Yeah. Uh, right. We have, we have a, min a ministry startup guide with a very listening oriented discernment oriented process before we do anything. Right. So, so I feel like we bring clarity through our processes and through our equipping of people, but the end result is, you know, we'll do whatever is right to impact young people within the constraints of our organizational capacity. Um, I think I should say, Jesse, too, the mm -hmm. big picture, our big picture approach is that we desire to be rooted in geographic communities with lo a long-term presence in those communities, mm -hmm. supported by specialized initiatives. So um, our neighborhood community outreach workers are kind of the, the heartbeat of who we are in many respects but then they are supported by specialized initiatives like a young parents group. So we have an incredible young parents team. Mm. Hey, your community needs young parents group. Let's talk about what that looks like in the context of your geographic area. So it's that balance of geography focused with specialized teams. So the geography focus 
has an emphasis on people who my assumption is that they're kind of jack of all trades, outreach workers who are engaging, building relationships out of it. And then there are specialized programs that are really centered in on a particular gifting. Would you say that's correct? Or? Yeah, or, or center in on a particular need or demographic in a community. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah, our community outreach workers, often in partnership with local churches, is really about building those long term relationships in those communities. Now, they will still have specific programs through which they do that, whether that's an after school program, soccer or basketball or, mm -hmm. you know, summer day camp, vacation Bible school kind of ideas. Yeah. Um, so they'll still have a programmatic lens. That's the venue for encountering young people. Uh, but absolutely, their heartbeat is for their broad community to be present and build relationships and care for families over the long term. So when there is this emphasis between um, the idea of a specialized program and what that entails. So when you say geographic, it's, it's as if you're, if there, it's as if I'm hearing a distinction between people who are really focused on that specific expertise and, and then those who are in a way doing programs that are good programs, but is it like as if it's the main focus is to create context in which people can engage each other. And you can do that through an after-school program or whatnot. And when I hear that, it seems as if, you know, do you have to, do you have to pick between like how good of a of a of an after-school program it is versus um, having just a space in which people can coexist in a context. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So let me answer that question by talking about some of our program categories. Okay. So, so one of our program categories is called innovative centers, which is, is spaces and places focused on specific skills. So for example, we have a ministry called Iron Fruits, it's very much focused on weight training and physical development for young people. And Paul Bartley is our staff person who's an incredible mentor, but that's a center where he's really focused on training a specific skill and seeing young people develop in that skill. Uh, Paul would also be involved in Hoop to Hope basketball, right? On Friday night in the community, he serves with Benjamin, one of our other staff. The kids are playing basketball. Yes, we're teaching them a bit, but we're not teaching them to become, you know, the best <laughs> yeah. high school all-star basketball player they can possibly become. Yeah. It's, it's an avenue for connecting, playing, building skills, and forming a community. Mm -hmm. So that those would be the, we do have some of those programs where it's like, yes, this is very much focused on developing a skill for our young people. But you're, I think you're right in what your sense is. It's still the avenue for relationship that develops over time. Yeah, I think I, I have found that there has been a shift towards in the social sector, the desire to create both and, you know, let's have both really solid relationships um, that get really close with the youth. But at the same time, let us also um, activate really good programs that will make them basketball stars, you know, like try to do them both. And I think trying to do both sometimes just makes both of them not work <laughs> well, right? Like, you know, I mean, sometimes I find the both and approach at times feels like you eventually come to a place of an either or, um, right? Do you, do you, do you, you have to sometimes just have to pick one 
to really be good at. And then the other one is kind of a minor. One's a major, one's a minor. And I'm not sure if that's what happens in, in your organization or having to make those trade-offs or whether even that's even at the forefront of our minds even. But it seems like the idea of your, your staff actually just being people who are having a passion to do something because, and then an initiative begins. And it's not just that simple, of course, as you said, there yeah. is criteria. But what I hear from it too is that you know, some people say just because it's your passion doesn't mean that you should do it. Like, or just because it's a call that you feel, do you have the qualifications to do it? And the idea of qualifications is, I believe in my studies recently, kind of a new phenomenon that we've put into our era right now of being really a professional in it. And I- When you say, I guess that's qualifications in what? That's right. I mean- The programming context? Yes, and, 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 and facilitating certain things. Because I, I often say, even in this podcast, if you're a doctor, I want you to be a professional. <laughs> I want <laughs> yeah. qualifications, right? Um, yeah. If you're a dentist, I don't want you doing surgery on my mouth if you are not qualified. But the thing is, once we bring certain expertise that is in a factory building some electronic or um, a, a medical service that is dealing with very acute matters... Then bringing those types of ways of expertise mentality into the social sector, which is like working with human beings, working with relationships, emotions, all that messiness. It's very different than, you know, making a toaster. Like you're, you just plug in yeah. or you're, you're a part of an assembly line and you can just keep on doing, putting on the door on the car over and over and over again. You're an expert at doing that. Yes. In a way, when it comes to human beings, way we say something someone is qualified if we use the same way that we describe others something kind of doesn't work out right it doesn't it doesn't pan out the same way and so my 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 constant tension is using that language of expert and professional or qualified or legitimate all those terms trying to bestow it upon someone who said you know i'm called to serve these people or that people and, and you might not even have the expertise to do it, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. The, even, the, the, even the right personality to do it. And, and I guess when you think about that, that idea of someone's calling and then someone's qualification or gifting, do you see how that's been playing out in your organization? Whether, you know, you amplify calling more than the yeah. idea of, of function? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I'd never, I'd, I'd always want to say we want to pursue excellence yeah. in our programming, right? It's, I wouldn't say, oh, just whatever happens in that program, just mm-hmm. as long as you're meeting kids, we're good. Uh, but I do think when we look at qualification, we look at about equipping adults to care and love and bring the person of Jesus to young people effectively, mm-hmm. right? And, and obviously there's, um, you know, human transformation processes have some general similarity across humankind, yet we also know every relationship is unique. Um, So when I think of oral organization, I think that tension between qualification and I'm going to call it a relational gifting and a relational calling, because I Mm. I don't think just anybody can do it. I think Mm. it actually requires a specific set of gifts to be in community for many years among people who are experiencing brokenness, vulnerability, uh, that's a really tough 
job actually yeah. right yeah. Um, so there's still qualifications there <laughs> some people i do not want in a drop in at evergreen <laughs> yeah. i'm like no yeah. don't come <laughs> yes but say so let's let's say two years ago we started a social enterprise called social uh, stepping stones so it's a landscaping social enterprise essentially you know a business but we're employing young people with employment barriers mentoring them coaching them so mark who runs that social enterprise well you better believe I want Mark to have qualifications to run a landscaping business well, right? And he came with 30 years, but he had this heart to do relational ministry in the context of that business. So there's, that's an example where well, qualifications are very important because the stakes are high to run that program well. Uh, whereas, say, Benjamin and Jane Finch started a basketball program because he just saw that's what all the kids were doing. And he knew these kids needed, you know, an adult fatherly presence in their lives and, and that was what God was inviting him to. And that developed into a really rich ministry where he is Uncle Ben in that community. Yeah. Right. Um, so that I guess it, there is a tension, but there can be a both and depending on the context. That is really important, but depending on what it is that you're doing. And even the term Uncle Ben is a fascinating term, right? It's actually not a um, a designation. Well, I mean, it, he probably does have some kind of designation of a coordinator <laughs> or whatnot, but it, how he's known to the community say is uncle Ben, which is yep. seen in a very not professional type of status necessarily. Um, but quite fam familial, you know, like yep. very family oriented, very close as a neighbor in the, yep. in the community, which is a, a zone that I think is requires, a lot of articulation and 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 emphasis right now and highlighted because there is the professional which you can define pretty easily there's yeah. our homes which is like just our family what we do in our private but this middle ground between those two where you're not necessarily literally their uncle and you're not necessarily highly professional that middle ground needs like uncle ben's in there right um <laughs> yeah yeah. And our young people will often ask our staff, like, you get paid? To, like, <laughs> what are you doing anyways? What's your job? You know, and that I think that speaks to that very relational nature of, yeah. of being present. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I think also what you made another distinction is between certain programs that require more what I call expertise. And I, again, that's not an elevated status, how I'm defining yes. it, but an expertise in business and landscaping versus starting the, the basketball, which does have things that you need as well. But in a way, depending on what kind of program it is, um, you can, you can, you know, soften how we view, you know, the qualifications of one over the other. Um, and, and, and more, this requires high relational capital, and yep. perhaps a little lower expertise. This one requires more expertise and we hope high relational capital yeah. as well. But the temptation is, I, I assume too, is that because we can measure so many things, like now there's how many basketball programs out there in, in Toronto? Let's do an analysis and a survey. What's the type of profile of the best leaders out there who do that? And then we can figure out some way to measure the best qualified person for that detail that, and then in a way professionalize that so that, you know, let's be clear, this is a basketball coordinator. This is not your friend. This is a coach and this is how it's going to be. Um, I feel like there's a temptation to do that to things that perhaps don't require as much 
as much. And in a way, if you add more to it, it actually perhaps could um, diminish be its impact it. because yeah. he needs to be Uncle Ben, right? Or, or whatnot. Or Brother Andrew or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a very interesting question, Jesse. I, I think, yeah, I want to, I'm a both and kind of guy. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. You know but at the same, <laughs> at the same time, when I, I think of, you know, an organization only has so much energy. Right? right. And so much capacity. So do I want to spend a whole bunch of capacity on professionalized programs or do I want to do I want to spend a whole bunch of energy on transforming healthy people and leaders and community workers that are present in young lives for a long time? I'm probably generally going to choose the latter because that's again that when it comes to our change theory, it's rooted in those long term mentoring relationships. Yeah. Right in partnership with local churches so yeah yeah and i hear that struggle because just the fact that for you to stand by that uh for for someone like me who's had to try to navigate that myself in in leadership um i really respect that like really respect the when the choice is made you have to make it and this is what you would do in in that um and i know how hard that is particularly in our in our current sector right now which is looking for you know so many things to to validate you know certain expressions and i've had to do that a lot too in my program is how to evaluate or measure the impact of a drop-in worker playing pool in a drop-in center right yeah i mean um and in a way i've found at certain times i'm trying to overly do that complicate a very simple interaction um for the sake of that I'd say my dad would fit in really well in this kind of organization, don't you think? Thank you, Scott, for a great conversation. Please do join us in our next episode with Scott. It'll be an interesting one because we confront the moment that Scott and his team decided to put the brakes on a measurement tool that they created at Youth Unlimited, something that I was really impressed with, actually. They actually stopped doing. They actually did a funeral service for it, which was interesting. In a sector that's only increasing their capacity to measure transformation among those on the margins, I think that Youth Unlimited made a bold move when they said, we don't think it's for us at the moment. So, so excited to share that with you. As always, thanks for listening in. I'd love to hear from you. So feel free to leave a comment, drop me an Instagram message. And if you haven't already, please do subscribe and rate the podcast. That's the best way for us to be able to spread the word about it. Have a great rest of the week, everyone. I'll catch you in the next episode.